0: Good morning, I'm Duarte Geraldino,
1: And I'm Shemita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them.
0: But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines.
1: Donald Trump has written a presidential memo asking the Office of Budget and Management to cut federal funding for cities he's calling anarchist jurisdictions. He specifically mentioned Portland, New York, Seattle, and Washington, D.C.
0: Recent spikes of coronavirus have leveled off along the Sun Belt, but there's a growing outbreak happening in four Midwestern states, Iowa, Kansas, North and South Dakota.
1: And baseball Hall of Famer Tom Seaver has died at the age of 75. Over the course of his career, the pitcher won 311 games with four different teams.
0: Over the weekend, President Trump retweeted an account linked to the conspiracy theory QAnon. And that message was that the CDC has, quote, quietly updated the COVID number to admit that only 6% of people who reportedly died of this virus actually died from COVID. Now, Twitter took down the post, saying it violated the platform's rules about spreading coronavirus-related misinformation.
1: And to understand why Twitter chose to take that down, let's turn to an article written by science journalist Jane C. Hu for Slate. See, one thing that's right there is that the CDC did put out some new numbers recently. On August 26th, the agency issued revised numbers pointing out that 6% of the reported deaths could be attributed only to COVID-19.
0: Yeah, the author of this article is making the point that if after reviewing the CDC's data, you reach the same conclusion as the president did based on his tweet, then there's a fundamental misunderstanding. See, for the other 94% of deaths, These are actually people who had underlying conditions like diabetes or heart disease. Now, who points out people with these so-called comorbidities are more susceptible to the coronavirus?
1: Right. In fact, who notes that some of the comorbidities listed by the CDC are actually things that could be caused by COVID-19, things like respiratory failure or sepsis? And I I don't want to downplay this. There are lots of people who live with serious health issues in this country. Six out of 10 people in the U.S. have some sort of chronic condition. And who says even though diabetes or hypertension might have complicated a person's response to COVID-19, it's still the virus that killed them?
0: And yet, despite Twitter trying to set the record straight, this misinformation is hard to stamp out. Vox cites an Axios Ipsos poll that suggests one out of three Americans believe the COVID-19 death count is inflated.
1: This kind of thinking, that the numbers are inflated, has been continuously debunked by public health experts. Dr. Anthony Fauci from the White House's Coronavirus Task Force was on Good Morning America this week. He was asked about this once again, and he was unequivocal about the facts.
0: So the numbers that you've been hearing, the 180,000-plus deaths, are real deaths from COVID-19. Let there not be any confusion about that. It's not 9,000 deaths from COVID-19. It's 180-plus-thousand deaths. New U.S. citizens make up one of the fastest-growing voter blocks in the country— Ten percent of all eligible voters are naturalized citizens, according to the Pew Research Center. That's a record high.
1: Yeah, an estimated 3.1 million people gained citizenship since the last presidential election. But despite the fact that this group has grown, 538 is out with a piece that explains many immigrants who were expecting to be newly minted citizens by November may not get their applications approved in time to vote in this year's election.
0: 538 says for years now, people applying for citizenship have had to wait a long time for the applications to be processed. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking an average of nearly nine months for this year alone. And the pandemic is delaying the process even more. At the end of March, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services temporarily halted operations at all of its field offices and that means naturalization interviews and oath ceremonies were put on hold.
1: Yep. And just like that, more than 700,000 applications were put on pause, according to agency data. Five thirty-eight cites an analysis by Boundless, which is an immigration services company, and they say hundreds of thousands of naturalization applicants are waiting for their interviews. And these interviews usually take place about two months before an oath ceremony when they officially become naturalized. So for many of these people who are near the end of their process, the deadline to register to vote in their state might have already passed.
0: Now, 538 explains, Naturalized Americans turn out to vote at lower rates than U.S.-born citizens. Studies have shown that's because of language barriers and a lack of familiarity with how to get registered. But if they did turn out, and in large numbers... This group of immigrant U.S. citizens could have the power to decide elections in some battleground states. According to one report from the National Partnership for New Americans, if you counted all the newly naturalized eligible voters in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Nevada, that group is bigger than the 2016 margin of victory.
1: Yet the main point here is whether you're newly eligible to vote or you've been eligible for a while and just haven't gotten around to registering, Do it as early as possible. Apple News has a voting guide to answer any questions you might have about registering or voting this year. We'll link to the guide in our show notes.
0: A new fashion trend is emerging. So imagine wearing clothes that were made not from animal or plant material, but from fungi.
1: That's right. Scientists have been able to take mycelium, which is a fungus, and force it to grow in a specific shape. So left alone, it'll grow just like a mushroom with a round top. But if you control the conditions, the temperature, the humidity, you can make it grow into straight sheets. And as big players in the fashion industry are looking to become more eco-friendly, some of them are turning to mycelium as a sustainable fabric. The Washington Post profiles a few of them.
0: This story is intriguing because the traditional fashion industry creates so much environmental waste. It's the world's second most polluting business, according to the United Nations. And it produces 10% of the world's carbon emissions. To put that into perspective, that's more than all the international air travel and maritime shipping combined, not to mention... When you're finally done with this fast fashion, it's really hard to get rid of those clothes. It's like the planet can't digest them.
1: Yeah, mycelium, on the other hand, is biodegradable, so it won't cause any of that planetary indigestion you were talking about. (laughs) And it has a smaller carbon footprint than anything made from animal hides. And if you just look at these clothes, really, you'd have no idea they were made from the same kind of organism as mold and mushrooms. It looks just like a regular fabric, or really, it looks closer to leather, depending on the kind of finishing. Clothes like this are not widely available yet, but investors want them to be. And they're banking on a future where people are willing to pay leather-like prices for non-leather clothes. You can find links to all these stories in today's show notes page.
0: And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a rating and review. It really helps other people find us.
1: We'll talk to you again tomorrow.